Oh, yeah. Welcome back. Passball Show, MTR Radio Network, hour number two. And uh, you almost heard some more music there, which would have been pretty cool. But, you know, we're back here. We're going to finish things up today. In a little bit, we're going to reach out to former Major League pitcher Mike Lacoste. Uh, I definitely want to get into some stuff when it comes to uh, general managers of Major League Baseball. And as, this is a little tease for that. I'm going to get in for you know the better part of this hour talking about it, ranking really who is the best general managers in the game right now. And I think there's a lot of different things that are going to have to, I guess, I guess, be judged with it. I mean, you want to judge a history, how long they've been there, what they've accomplished. Of course, all that gets considered. But you know, I think, I think you know, particularly MLB Network when they put the top 10 general managers are talking about kind of moves that general managers made that really haven't panned out yet or there's been no proof to back up really what's involved with that. And I think that's, you know, something that, that I really want to get into. Uh, the Washington Nationals today signed uh, right-hand pitcher Chris Young to a minor league contract. And, you know, here's a guy that I could see actually helping them out particularly with maybe some uncertainty with the Gio Gonzalez situation, though I think there's a little more clarity to it. I doubt uh, he'll end up get, receiving any type of suspension in regards to the biogenesis thing going on in Florida and Anthony Bosch and the whole thing. So I don't think that that's going to end up being a hindrance. But I do think Chris Young on a minor league deal is a very good move for the Nationals. does give them some depth. And I don't know if they're going to talk about innings limits this year, which they said that they, they won't in regards to Steven Strasburg and Jordan Zimmerman. But, listen, if, if they suffer through any fatigue or stuff like that and maybe need to sit out for a while, I do think Young going in there making a handful of starts for the Nationals can help them. Because, actually, in re, you know, the opposite of what people think about with his 4-9 record with the New York Mets last season, I do think he was productive. He went out there, he pitched to about a 4 ERA, gave you about six innings a start, really gave you, you know, gave up two, three runs a game. And I don't, I don't think really kept the team out of a lot of games. I think he, he, he went out there, he did pretty much what his job was, to go out there and eat innings. And, you know, when he was healthy and finally off of the torn interior capsule muscle in his shoulder – you know, it looks like a guy that, that could be healthy for a couple of years now. So I do think that's a good move uh, with, the, with the Nationals. But you know, in a couple of minutes, we're going we're gonna to reach out to Mike Lacoste, and we're going to see what's going on with iBaseball Channel, the whole thing. And, uh, you know, other things going on, I do want to touch in a little bit. Uh, the Toronto Blue Jays, I think, really have, have probably, uh, I don't know, baffled me maybe in a way. Because, uh, you know, I, I really don't get the whole thing of Alex Anthopoulos and the amount of catchers that he has had on the roster for the last couple of years. I'm going to talk about that, too. And, you know, the amount of free agents that are left, in my opinion, I don't think really outside of Kyle Loesch, I don't see anybody that's really that, uh, that much of a concern. I mean, you're going to see a bunch of guys who are really going to go on minor league deals right now. And, uh, you know, I'm going to touch a little bit on that. I do want to get into the whole uh, Lee McGee, Hal Chase thing and really how I think that's such a, uh, to me, those players are in a level by themselves when it comes to, you know, comparing them to the 1919 Black Sox and Pete Rose and those who have been suspended and banned for life for, uh, for betting on the game of baseball because I think that they took it to a whole different level. But, um, yeah, lots more going on. We'll definitely let you guys call in. We'll we'll get some uh, some phone calls up here, and, and we'll we'll end up reaching out to him. Of course, Mike uh, is involved with the iBaseballChannel.com, a former major league pitcher for the Giants, threw the split finger fastball under manager Roger Craig, and everything he did there. So we're gonna reach out to Mike, and we'll see how things are going. We'll definitely get him up here, and we'll talk a little bit about the iBaseballChannel.com and everything involved in that. 
And if you get a chance, check out the site. It actually looks pretty good. I was uh, been looking at it over the last couple of days. But uh, Michael Koss, of course, a longtime pitcher for the Giants, the Royals, amongst other teams. And we'll, you know, we'll get into that. If not, we'll definitely get into some other things. We'll jump right into, definitely jump into the next, next subject. I'm going to start off and I'm going to get into what's going, what actually went on in the early part of the 1900s. And that obviously uh, was an era that was probably dominated more than it is now with, uh, you know, organized crime and gamblers and stuff like that. And let's be honest. I mean, there were some, there were some baseball players that ended up getting caught up in it. And I think if you're talking about the, the, uh, the 1919 Black Sox, I think that was a situation, more of a circumstance, where the owner was shortchanging them and uh, really hit them at the right time. You know, from Eddie Seacott going in asking for his bonus for winning 30 games, he, he won 29 but was held out two weeks, you know, from pitching just so he didn't get that 30th win. And, you know, the bitterness that went on there, the divide between the players that were underpaid and then the couple players like the Eddie Collinses and the Ray Shocks that were over, that were paid a lot, you know, considerably more, I think led them to going along that wrong path. And, I, you know, I don't, I don't think that anybody's going to go there and say that they did the right thing, but I think it's more understood than the stuff that went on before that. And particularly a guy like Lee McGee, a guy like Hal Chase, in my opinion, those were criminals that happened to be Major League Baseball players. And really the way they kind of carried themselves about and the stuff that they did while, while they played. And I mean, they never played the game on a level. They were always up to something, uh, particularly Hal Chase, a guy that even after he was thrown out of baseball in 1920, he was thrown out of the Pacific Coast League for trying to bribe an umpire. I mean, there were some guys uh, out there and unfortunately just never played the game on a level and were, you know, would have you know, would have been involved in gambling and organized crime and stuff like that, whether they played baseball or not. And it just happened that they played baseball. And, you know, Lee McGee was a guy who ended up playing five different teams in five years, seven teams in nine years, all because of the same thing, because there was always distrust, dishonesty involved with him and his teammates, and he could never be trusted. And if you look at a couple things that he ended up doing over time, which I, I – you know, he, he was involved with, you know, Chrissy Matthewson, who was his manager in 1917, uh, you know, and it ended up suspending him because of, of him taking money and stuff like that. And there was always there was always debates involved of whether he was he was being honest. He'd, he'd make an error. And some of the errors that he made were just were just totally blatant. He, he'd, gra- he'd grab a, you know, a, a one hopper and just take the ball and throw it in the stands. Or, you know, he would take a ball and he would just, like, slap, slap his glove down to slap a ball down. I mean, the guy couldn't have been any more obvious with the way that he was acting in a lot of the games. And, you know, he ends up in 19, 1920, I believe, and it was a couple of days ago on 1920, that the, the Chicago Cubs ended up uh, releasing him and, you know, just, just saying, hey, your contract's over, we're not paying you anymore. After he went out there about 10 days earlier, and admitted to uh, National League pre- President John Hyder and owner for the Cubs, Will- William Veck, obviously the older, the older Veck, not uh, Bill Veck, who ended up uh, yeah, owning the Browns and the White Sox and the Indians years later. But he ends up admitting to him that he was involved in a fixed game a couple of years earlier when he was playing for the Cincinnati Reds. And what he was doing at the time, he was trying to clear his name because people were, people were suspicious that he was throwing games for the 1919 Cubs. And what he, ended up, what he ended up doing is saying, hey, I didn't throw games for the 1919 Cubs, but I threw games for, for the Cincinnati Reds a couple of years earlier. 
And, you know, that's not, in my opinion, not the, the thing you want to go out there and admit. And admit, he, here's a guy who thinks that he's getting himself, you know, off of what, what happened, what supposedly happened that the Cubs were questioning and admitting that he did something that, you know, was, was against, against the rules in baseball at that time and ends up getting him expelled and banned for life, uh, you know, under Commissioner Kendershaw Mountain Landis. So, you know, I, I, and in my opinion, I, you know, you look at a guy like Lee McGee, but I, I think even worse, you look at a guy by the name of Hal Chase, who played for the Reds in the, in, in the uh, mid to late uh, 1910s, 19-teens. I mean, this was a guy that was pretty much dishonest the entire time he played. Uh, he, was as cu- he was accused as far back as 1910 for throwing games when he was uh, a member of the New York Highlanders. And I mentioned about Matthewson, who accused him of throwing games and suspended him in 1917. And then, you know, in addition to, you know, the incident in 1918, which, you know, involved McGee, and apparently, apparently McGee and Chase uh, put up $500 checks apiece to, uh, you know, an organized gambling, uh, you know, gambling family or whatever. And what, what ended up happening is that they, they put the money down on the, the Reds losing the first game of a doubleheader that they played in 1917 against the Boston Braves. And if they lost that game, they would receive about one third uh, of the amount of winnings that they did when the, the gambling, uh, you know, whatever the, the representative put the amount of money on the red on the Reds to lose the first game of the doubleheader. And McGee did his job. He went out there. He made two crucial errors. I think he made a, a, an error on the base paths. And, and what's interesting about this, and what I really do find interesting, is the the fact that uh, things end up not going uh, McGee and Chase's way in the game that the game ends up tied after nine innings. They play in, in extra innings. And McGee, as a, as a batter, ends up just slapping at the ball and just hitting a ground ball that ends up, that ends up being a seeing-eye single. Gets through, gets through the infield. He's just looking to ground out to just get out there. But he ends up on base. He, he's on first base. The next guy gets a hit. He takes his time getting over, getting over to third and, and, and then winds up scoring, scoring the winning run. That you know He's standing on third. The guy gets a hit. What are you going to do? Are you going to stand there on third? And I, I think he was in a situation where he, 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 I'm sure, would have liked to not score the winning run, but he ends up scoring the winning run. The Reds end up winning, and the, the amount of money that was put down on the game you know, goes for naught. And then McGee thinks afterwards that he's double-crossed by Hal Chase and ends up canceling his check. So what ends up you know, making his story worse for him is the fact that he's got he's got the uh, the the gamblers after him for the amount of money that were in, that was in the check, and then he ends up getting traded for the Reds after the whole thing to the Brooklyn Robins. And, it, and while he's playing for Brooklyn, they end up having a road trip in Boston, which happens to be the same place where Cincinnati played the game. You know, the, the day of the alleged thrown game or the attempted thrown game. And what what happens there is he ends up going and. Uh, you know, he, en- he ends up play- he ends up uh, you know showing up in Boston, and guess what? He he's served with papers from the gambler for the unpaid debt, which obviously makes Brooklyn suspicious over you know whether he's playing the game on a level or not. And he ends up getting traded to the Cubs, and that's you know that ends up being a whole story there. But the you know the whole thing is I is I really thought that there's there really is a separation between players that end up, you know, gambling and getting themselves in trouble like the 1919 Black Sox. And, you know, while, I, while I'll, never, I'll never go out there and say that they didn't do anything wrong, I mean, I think there is a separation between players like that or teams like that and then, you know, players that are just out there to do the wrong thing. 
And I think, you know, you look at even a guy like Hal Chase who just this doesn't stop. Suspended, you know, in 19, you know, 18, ends up being suspended when he's traded to the New York Giants in 1919. And then, of, of course, you know, the, the incident involving the umpires where after he's, after he's kicked out of Major League Baseball, he's thrown out of the Pacific Coast League for, uh, you know, for one, for, I guess, trying to bribe an umpire. And then he claims years later, or I don't know if it was him or somebody else claimed, but he, apparently this guy who played for the, the Reds in 1917, he apparently won about $40,000 betting on the Reds to win the 1919 World Series. So, t- so tell me he didn't know anything was going on there. I mean, he ends up you know, winning there. So you know, in my opinion, there's a separation between criminals who happen to be baseball players and you know, baseball players who end up just making bad decisions. And you know, fortunately... Uh, you know, for the 1919 Black Sox, Joe Jackson, all the guys involved there, they get banned for life. A guy like Jackson, who would have been a Hall of Famer, ends up having no chance to ever make it there. And, you know, it could segue yourself into a conversation with Pete Rose. It, you know, does he deserve a chance to be in the Hall of Fame? And, you know, listen, I, I, you know, we heard, we, I listened to, uh, you know, Bill Zeldman and Mike Sanfilippo talking about it the other day. And, and I think if you look at what Pete Rose did as a player, uh, you, you're never going to be able to take that away. You're never going to be able to deny the fact that he was legitimately the all-time hit leader, and he was known for his hustle. So there's no way you could ever question anything he did on the field because there were few players that played baseball at the time, or really at any time, that played as hard and cared as much about winning as Pete Rose did. And you can never, you know, any error the guy made, you know, there was never any way that you could be suspicious over it because the guy played as hard as anybody could have imagined. So while you can't ever question what the guy did on the field, you do have to question very much his involving, you know, him involving himself with gambling um, as a manager. And I think that, you know, the guy obviously did a terrible job there, and that has been for the longest time held against him. But you ask yourself the question, should that keep him from being in a Hall of Fame as a player? And I think there's a dispute enough that you could, you could question it to a point where you, you could ask yourself about it, ask yourself you know, whether uh, Pete Rose as a player is a Hall of Fame player. And if you say no, then I think you got just a bias against Pete Rose overall. And listen, you, you have the right to feel that way. You have the right to not like Pete Rose. You have the right to just, just say the, guy, the guy's a disgrace, doesn't deserve, deserve to be involved in the game at all, and because of that is not a Hall of Famer. But you can't deny what he did as a player. You can't forget the fact that he, you know, he has more hits than anybody in the history of the game. That he played twenty, was it twenty three years and twenty four years in majors. You know, won you know won three World Series championships. You know, was was a was a winning player for a long time. And for the time frame that he played, was one of the better players in the game. And I think you do have to you, you owe him that to at least acknowledge that, even if you are a Pete Rose hater. But, you know, when it comes to whether he's going to be in a Hall of Fame, I think it's – I think it's – yeah, you're pretty much going to have to wait, unfortunately, until the guy passes away or at the very least until we get another commissioner in baseball that's not uh, Bud Selig because Bud Selig is certainly stuck around with the beliefs of Faye Vincent and Bartlett Giamatti. And you know, I, think, I think they're all along the same level as far as their feelings towards P. Rose and be, him being involved in baseball. And I do understand to a certain extent. I do think that if Pete Rose is allowed back into baseball while, right now, and I know, it's, I know it seems messed up to say while he's still living, I think that you, you do 
uh, leave what is a small chance of him involving himself as you know maybe a major league manager. I understand a guy seventy you know over seventy years old now, and the chances of him coming in there to be a major league manager are getting slimmer and slimmer by the day. But I think Major League Baseball probably, particularly under the leadership of Bud Selig, does not want to be involved in that right now. And I think that, you know, unfortunately uh, for Pete Rose, he, he will never see the Hall of Fame while he's alive. But I do think that there stands a chance that he could be reinstated in baseball, you know, after his, you know, his death. Which, and, and I keep saying it, you know, it's, it sounds like a messed up thing to say. But I do think that's baseball's stance on it, and I do think that uh, the fact that he was such a good player and none of, the, none of the things that ended up getting him banned for life could ever be close to be pinned on when he was a player, I think that's why there's a chance that someday Pete Rose's name will be in a Hall of Fame because there, there's, there's enough of Pete Rose in a Hall of Fame already. I mean, if you look at the, you know, the big red machine, you know, you look at the Phillies team that won the World Series in 1980. You look at the fact that he passed, you know, Stan Musial for the all-time hit leader in the National League. And then, of course, Ty Cobb, you know, later on in 1985 with the hit against Eric Shaw. But, you know, you put all those things there. There's, there's, there's memories of that. There's pieces of that in the Hall of Fame. And, you know, just while, you know, while there's, you know, the bat, you know, the broken bat of Mike Piazza that was thrown at him by Roger Clemens. You know, stuff like that. Mark McGuire, 60-second home run. You know, the bat that he used for that is in the Hall of Fame. So there's a lot of um, things in the Hall of Fame that involve players that aren't Hall of Famers or are being kept out of the Hall of Fame. So you can't, whether Pete Rose is a Hall of Famer or not, you'll never deny what he did as a player and can never question the legitimacy of anything that he did. And I think those are, those are all things that have to be looked at. Once again, it's John Pialli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to jump back into things. Lots more to go over. Uh, we might even have some time for your phone call. So back in a little bit more after this. I'm Karen Siaska-Zeltman from Italian Hour. When my car needs service, I take it to Jonathan's Complete Car Care. Jonathan's Complete Car Care is the best for auto repairs, tires, diagnostics, and tune-ups. You can depend on Jonathan's for the best service at prices you can afford. Give Jonathan's Complete Car Care a call, 609-601-6460. They work hard to give you the service you need. Jonathan's Complete Car Care works with many vehicles, including Mercedes-Benz, BMW, Volvo, Volkswagen, and Audi. Make Jonathan's Complete Car Care the company you keep. 609-601-6460. Call today for a free estimate or visit. Find us on the web at jonathanscompletecarcare.com and like us on Facebook and find us on Twitter. This is MTR Media CEO Bill Zeltman. MTR Radio is the Internet's fastest-growing talk radio station. Our aim is to cover sports, news, and music, all while providing an entertaining radio product. We appreciate you making us a part of your day. I'm Joey Baboots, and this is an MTR Minute. MTR Radio, to me, is much more than America's radio station. It's much more than a combination of some of the best radio talent in the industry today. It's much more than doing a morning show with that moron James Flippin. To me, it's the ability to interact with the callers on a daily basis. When I get up every morning to co-host the MTR Morning Show, weekday mornings from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern, 
It's more than just being able to do sports banner with James Flippin. It's hearing the reaction of the callers, the fans, interacting on Twitter and Facebook, and having their voices heard through our media. That's what helps me get up every morning and do the MTR Morning Show. I'm Joey Baboots. This is James Flippin, the executive producer of MTR Radio, America's radio station. I'm Ron Sulpizi from the MTR Sports Report. Not sure where to eat? Then listen to these reviews. Awesome. Amazing Greek food. Everything is fresh. Great family restaurant in the heart of Ocean City. Katina's is an Ocean City staple. When you've had your fill of pizza, cheesesteaks, and ice cream, head for Katina's. Katina's Gyro Restaurant, 501 East 9th Street, Ocean City, New Jersey, 609-399-5525. Check out their website, katinasfoods.com. That's katinasfoods.com. Order their famous Mediterranean dressing, and they'll ship it right to your door. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, Katina's Greek Restaurant. In your face, all over the place. We're online 24-7, 24-7. You're listening to the hottest internet station. MTR. Welcome back, Pass Ball Show, MTR Radio Network. John Pielli. We're gonna we're gonna try one more time to reach out to Mike Lacoste. And you know, we'll see if we can get him up here, talk a little bit about the iBaseball channel. Of course, we'll be speaking with Val Mieski. Uh, towards the end of the program. So lots more things going on. Uh, once again, here on the Pass Ball Show on the MTR Radio Network. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what ends up going Hello. on. Hey, is Mike? Yes. Hey, how you doing, man? John Pielli, Pass Ball Show, MTR Radio Network. Thanks for having a couple minutes today. Hi, John. How you doing? Yeah, pretty good, man. Hey, listen, man, we'll start out. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, about the uh, iBaseball.com. If you want, you can tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about, about it and you know how it started and everything. Oh, yeah? Okay. Well, it's the iBaseballChannel.com. Okay, okay, cool. <laughs> and uh, Good start by getting it right, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, started on the, on a just a uh, kind of a, a project about three years ago, and then it, it, uh, it transformed into uh, kind of a niche that's out there. Uh, so we basically, uh, one of our... We do a number of things, but if you've watched some of the content on our site, we um, one of the basic things we do is we get the baseball personalities. Could be a manager, or a general manager, an owner, player, whatever, and we just get their their personal story. Um, yeah, that's awesome, man. Stuff like that. So it's firmly archived, and there's a lot of guys out there that don't make it on the MLB channel and 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 ESPN. So. We're just we're just picking up the leftovers that they don't get. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a lot out there. And then we we uh, also are going to mix and match per- baseball personalities with uh, music personalities uh, and cooking and food uh, as far as agriculture, from down right down to the farm. There's a lot of baseball people that can uh, that are musically inclined, and uh, there's a lot of guys that like to cook and barbecue and stuff like that. So we're just trying to put ourselves in uh, in front of these uh, in these markets. Um, we have an international uh, tag on our site uh, where uh, Craig Lefferts has been sending us some little clips as he's been to Cape Town, South Africa, and uh, Brazil just recently. And and uh, oh, our 1978, I was with the Reds, as you know, and 
went to Japan and on the Goodwill tour. And so there's a there's some photographs in there from the 1978 Cincinnati Reds uh, Goodwill tour of Japan, which was actually my wife and I's uh, honeymoon. <laughs> uh, so that stuff is on there, and uh, we'll have. Uh, opportunities to uh, sign up for things. Uh, we're going to kind of put some stuff out there for the card collectors and and let guys uh, try to get their card collections featured on, on a segment, stuff like that. And then we, uh, we're we also going to feature a, a segment called Where Are They Now? where the fans or the people that enjoy our site can uh, sign in and, and uh, ask us to find someone for them to do a story on someone of their choice. And then we try to go run that person down and do their story. No, no, um, that, that sounds pretty interesting, man. Uh, I'll tell you, it, it honestly is, is kind of comparable to pretty much what I do, you know, hosting my show, and I end up putting stuff, you know, on my own website and stuff like that. But, you know, it seems like, seems like you guys really got something special there. Was, it, was this something that you, you created yourself, or were you part of the group that created us? No, it was all uh, pretty much me. Uh, to, you know, I have uh, people that work for me a little bit on the nice. editing and production side, and, but uh, I just saw a lot of opportunity to develop some content that no one else is doing. I have uh, other former players, guys that I played with, guys that I played against that are uh, shareholders in the in the in the company. So we're, you know, we're a, we're a baseball website kind of owned and operated by baseball people. We're, we're not really interested in uh, getting out there, no offense, but to um, secure kind of civilian talent to run our shows or our segments or anything like that. We're all, I'm always seeking out baseball people to do that uh, because I feel like fans and people want to see the other side, the players. The, the, it's an interest if they know a guy can play guitar, if a guy can you know, cook. and If you you look at our site, you'll see one of my old teammates uh, cooking uh, peanut brittle during the holidays, and you know, it's it was kind of uh, for a brand new for a brand new website. You know, we've had uh, a couple hundred views of that. So, and we have about twenty five percent women doing our site right now. <laughs> really? And so, yep. Yeah, that's that's pretty interesting, man. And you know, once again, it's John Pialli. I'm here with former Major League pitcher. Mike Lacoste, and don't forget to check out iBaseballChannel.com where there's a lot of great interviews and a lot of great content. Now, Mike, you know, th throughout your career, you it looks like you really kind of um, established yourself. You know, you, you had some success with the Reds and, of course, with the Astros after that. But you, it looks like you really came into your own with the San Francisco Giants. And, of course, you know, under the tutelage of Roger Craig, you learned to throw the split finger. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I actually learned the split finger from Dave Smith uh, okay. in 1984 before nice. I got there. Roger took credit for it. <laughs> <Daddy>. <laughs> and I let him I let him take it just for the heck of it, you know, just to pat him <laughs> on the back and make him feel good. But, but I think with the Giants, you know, um, you know, I had uh, I had some things in my career that were some ups and downs. There was the collusion, and I had some injuries and some setbacks, and then I'd see, somehow, you know, somebody would give me a chance, and I'd, Kind of battle back a little bit, but it was kind of the same thing with the Giants. That even though I was injured, uh, the Giants lost 100 games in 1985, and so when I I was a free agent at that time, and when I uh, called Al Rosen looking for a job, uh, he said, "Yeah, come on in. You know, we're going to rebuild, and uh, we'll invite you to camp." And 
see if you can make the club, you know? And I said, sure. So I, I went to spring training with the Giants in 1986 and came out of there as a number, like, three starter. And the stats are in front of me. You can see what happened. I, yeah, no, very I, good uh, season. You know, I, yeah, I really did. I, if I hadn't been injured uh, during that time, I, I felt like I could have done a little better. But, um, you know, I was just uh, – Roger would use uh, anybody at any time, and we developed a, a winning attitude over there with the Giants. Uh, and – gotten the one game away from getting in the World Series in 87 against the, the Cardinals beat us in seven and then you know we got into the we won the National League pennant in 89 and got in the World Series and then the earthquake kind of ruined it a little bit even though but we got swept and we had some guys that were really hurting at that time and the A's were playing real well and that's the way it happened but uh, you know uh, I enjoyed my time with the Giants um, even though I I came up with the Reds. I've spent eight, eight or nine seasons with the Reds, including the minor leagues and so forth. And my uh, first catcher in the big leagues, Johnny Bench, is a, uh, will be appearing with me in Visalia here in a few weeks at a, a luncheon and keynote. And uh, you know, Johnny's going to be doing a, a special segment uh, on the I Baseball Channel on power hitting, and so That's that'll awesome. be coming up here in a few uh, few weeks. It'll be shooting the video on that on March 1st here in Visalia. Oh, definitely, man. Now, that, that, that sounds great, man. And uh, listen, I, like, you, it seems like you're really up to something good with this high baseball channel thing. And, you know, I, personally, I'm, I'm definitely going to check it out a little more. Um, listen, man, I want to <laughs> yeah. thank you for having some time today, man. Uh, hopefully, you know, we can stay in touch and maybe I can get you on the show sometime in the near future. Not a problem, John. I appreciate the time with you. Anytime, man. Take care, Mike. Okay. Yeah, it was Michael Cost, former pitcher for the San Francisco Giants. And, you know, you mentioned one thing that I thought was pretty interesting. And, you know, it's, it's a shame how this affected so many players in the mid to late 80s. But really the collusion that was going on, I mean, it, was, it couldn't have been, you know, and, I, and, and, I've, and I've, I've found, found this out by asking players that, you know, were playing in that time. And Bill Gullickson certainly said the same thing. He said that, you know, the, the – the collusion could have been any more obvious of what was going on, that the, the owners were trying to control contracts to a point where they wanted to limit the opportunities of where players could play. And that ends up being something that, you know, ends up really set it, setting a lot of players back. And, you know, I've talked about, you know, guys like Bob Horner that ends up, end up being out of baseball altogether because of stuff like that was going on. But don't forget to check out uh, iBaseballChannel.com. And, you know, I've gotten a good chance to look at it over the last couple of days. And, you know, he has, he has a lot of great interviews up there with a lot of former players. You know, like you said, Johnny Bench is going to be part of things going on there. And, you know, it's definitely something worth checking out. But, um, you know, Michael Cost, of course, former major league pitcher for the Reds, the Giants, the Astros, um, Kansas City Royals in 85, you know, the year they won the World Series. And, you know, finishes, yeah, finishes up his career with the Giants in 1991. Uh, but, you know, was part, part of a couple postseason teams in 87 and 89. And what, you know, I, I, I probably, if I had my kind of phone, I'd ask him about, you know, he got a chance to pitch in a postseason game in 1989 with the Cincinnati Reds. And, you know, it didn't go so well for him. But, you know, a chance to play on a lot of, a couple different playoff teams. And he had a very you know, successful career. Won almost 100 games in his career, 4 ERA was kind of uh, you know, a hybrid between a starter and a reliever. Uh, probably started more, you know, was a starter for more, more often than part of the time. But, you know, a lot of the Roger Craig teams had guys that, you know, both started and relieved. And, you know, Lacoste, for the most part, was, was a starter. So, 
you know, good job. Thanks for, you know, for appreciate having him on for a couple minutes. Um, in a couple minutes, we're going to reach out to uh, Val Majewski, who's a former outfielder for the Baltimore Orioles, the organization and stuff like that. So we'll get on to that in a little bit. But right before we do, um, we want to talk a little bit about the 1979 uh Montreal Expos and you know you talk about a lot of teams you know a lot of good teams that they had in the late 70s and during you know the better part of the beginning of the 80s so of course they're known for the playoff appearance they had in 1981 and but I, I look at I look at the team in 1979 and I really looking back and you know obviously 1979 was the year I was born so I obviously didn't watch this season play but I, I've relived it enough that I could say that this in my opinion was their best chance to compete during that season. And, you know, of course, they end up losing, you know, losing out to the Pittsburgh Pirates who won a division and, of course, eventually eventually winning the World Series in 1979. But in my opinion, managed by Dick Williams and, of course, with, you know, uh, with Steve Rogers and Bill Lee pitching and, you know, the guys that they had, future Hall of Famers and uh, Gary Carter and Andre Dawson and, of course, Tony Perez, uh, they, they really had the best chance. Uh, in my opinion, to win that season. And, of course, in 81, you know, Dick Williams ends up using Steve Rogers as a pinch runner in a game, and Rogers gets hurt, and, it, you know, it ends up uh, with uh, Williams resigning. And, you know, the team made the playoffs that year under Jim Fanning. But, uh, you know, actually, I believe I made the NLCS that year, losing to the Dodgers. But, in my opinion, I thought 79 was their best chance. Because, you know, the way they were set up, I think, you know, Larry Parrish playing third base for them set set them up to a point where he was – as good as good of a player as they had, probably the most underrated player on that team. And I think you look at, you know, you look at that team the way it was set up. And and you know, we we talked about Perez and Ellis Valentine, and of course Dawson and Carter and Warren Cromartie, who had a very good year with the 46 doubles, 181 hits. And I think you look at you know other guys that were involved in that with Tony Bernazard and Ken Maka being key bench players. Duffy Dyer, Rusty Staub coming off the bench. I think I think they they were most ready to win that season as opposed to a couple of years later. And I, I just think that the 1979 Expos, if they were able to get into the playoffs, if it wasn't for the Pittsburgh Pirates, I think they're a team that would have had a very good chance to to win. You know, not only not only the the division. It hurts to feel that way, but I understand that it's the way baseball goes. You know, there's, there's somebody right behind you all the time ready to take your spot. So very appreciative for what I had. I wish I could get one more day, but that's just uh, the way it went. Hey, you know what? And you know, I realize, man, I'm a you know, I'm a local New Jersey guy too. You know, you came out, you came out of Freehold High School, huh? Yeah, Freehold Township. Uh, you know, not knowing. Hey, honestly, my senior year, I didn't even know where I was going to go to play baseball in college. I. Hey, I appreciate the call. Well, I'm going to play baseball in college. Oh, where are you playing? I don't know yet. Um, so finally, uh, I went and visited Rutgers. You know, it was a perfect fit. The only school I ended up visiting. And uh, you know, Coach Hill made me feel welcome. The players made me feel welcome. So I said, you know, this is where I want to go. And it turned out to be the best move I ever made. 
Nah, that's awesome, man. And, you know, it's great It's great to see, a, you know, a local New Jersey guy actually, you know, get a chance, you know, maybe not as much of a chance as you would or would have wanted. But, you know, certainly, certainly good to see you, you, uh, you know, you end up getting drafted by the Orioles in the 2002 draft. Tell, tell us a little bit about how that worked out. You know, you found out you drafted. Was it as much of a surprise? I, mean, I would assume probably not since you were drafted in the third round, right? Well, bear with me on this because it's, it's a pretty cool story. Um, you know, the pre-draft workouts and stuff like that take place, uh, you know, a couple weeks before the draft. And I was scheduled to possibly go either to Camden Yards with Baltimore, uh, go with the Indians um, into Cleveland, and Cincinnati had one in Dayton, Ohio at their uh, low field. And I decided I was going to go to Baltimore, but we had the selection show for um, the NCAA tournament on the Monday, and this this tryout and this workout camp, the pre-draft workout was on a Monday. So I had to call the scout and say, hey, I apologize, I'm not going to be able to make it because you know, we have the mandatory be at, be at the field and if we get in the, the tournament, we're going to have practice that day and, and stuff like that. So I couldn't make it. Uh, turns out we didn't get in. We got snubbed that year. And so I called the scout up and I said, hey, this is the deal. I don't have practice today. He goes, give, give me a second, I'll call you back. He goes, what are you doing on Wednesday? I said, Call me back, you know, a few minutes later, he said, uh, nothing. He goes, you want to come down for a private workout before the Orioles game? And, uh, you know, just be you, and that's it. I said, absolutely, let's do it. So I called my agent, told him the deal. He said, that can only help you out. Drove down. So instead of being in the mix with all these other guys they had at the time was, uh, you know, Prince Fielder, BJ Upton were big guys in the draft, and I, I believe that they were going to be down there. I was all by myself. I had the GM farm director, local area scouts, the national cross-checker, um, big league hitting coach Terry Crowley was out there, and just all by myself, throwing to the bases, hitting balls, taking batting practice right before the big league players were coming out for BP. It was awesome. I mean, I think that could have only helped me because it turned out that Baltimore was the team that drafted me. So very fortunate the way it worked out that way, and I, I definitely wasn't surprised it was Baltimore, and I was happy that it was as early as the third round. Because I was, I was hoping anywhere in the top five, if not the top ten, but to be in the top three was even better. Yeah, no question about it, man. That's a great story. Once again, this is John Pielli. I'm here with former major league outfielder Val Mayeski. Now, you know, uh, you, you said you're kind of you're kind of waiting, hoping to maybe get an opportunity to be part of uh, uh, somebody's, you know, somebody's major, you know, major league camp or something like that. Um, have you have you ever thought about what you what you want to do, you know, after baseball, after it's all said and done? You know, in some way, I got to stay in the game. I mean, the game's been so good to me, and it's it's what I'm passionate about. It's what I've known since I was six years old, or basically all I've known since I was six years old. I don't know what capacity I want to stay in, whether it's starting coaching my kids' little league team or having aspirations of being a big league manager. I, I really don't know, um, or being the front office or a scout or something like that. I, I really don't know. But for now, I know my my objectives are to support my family. And I'll do what is necessary to do that. And if baseball comes knocking again, I'll be be glad to take whatever opportunity it is, whether as a player or whatever gets offered, and uh, see how that best fit best fits, you know, into our family situation. So I'm I'm happy. I'm, I'm with everything the way it's gone. I have no regrets, no nothing. Baseball's been awesome to me. It's the greatest game that I can even imagine playing. And um, We'll take the next step as it comes. But for right now, I'm waiting for that phone call. If it doesn't come, you know, I'll move on to something else, and I'll be I'll be okay with it. 
Yeah, no, no question about it, man. And you know, I think, I think, you know, if you if you could associate yourself or keep yourself associated with the game, it's you know, it's obviously something that would probably be, you know, yeah. you know, maybe a most ideal to you. But you know, obviously, you know, you don't you don't know if you'll ever get that chance. But you know, as you, as you're coming up and you spent about what was it, about ten, eleven years, you know, you know playing playing throughout the minor leagues. You got that one cup of coffee in two thousand four. Was there ever another spot where you said that, listen, there's no question I'm getting back to the major leagues? Because, you know, you hear all the time about stories about, you know, players that, you know, how, how, how it's, such, it's, it's such a tough uh, situation being down there. And, you know, looking, yeah. at, you're looking at some of your stats, I mean, you had some phenomenal years in the minor leagues, 2008, you know, even, even 2009 and 2010, 2011, you know, the, te- the, you know, the years that you had, um, in my opinion, should be worthy of, of maybe getting another crack in the major leagues. I mean, yeah, it, it was different. It was different because I was in. I wasn't that organization's guy. Now, being with yeah. the Orioles, and I came up with them um, at the time. You know, you're a prospect, you're young, and you're moving along. You're a higher draft pick. Um, it, it seemed that was it. You know, it was just let's keep moving up, let's keep moving up. But then when I go into another organization with people that don't necessarily know me, they have their guys also that that they're grooming to get to the big leagues. I just had to be in the right place at the right time. And I thought a few times, you know, I might have gotten some consideration if there was a need or something like that. You know, I would have loved in 2008 with the Astros, or, or even last year with the uh, two years ago, 2011 with the Rangers. Um, that would have been great, but there has to be a need, you know, and I have to be the guy that to fill that need. So it's baseball is is a lot about being good and being consistent, but it's also about being in the right place at the right time, because I could be, you know, no matter how good I am, say I was a shortstop, no matter how good I was as a shortstop for the New York Yankees, unfortunately there'd be a guy in front of me, you know, whose job I'm not taking. So you have to. There's got to be a, a need for you. You have to be doing well. And again, somebody has to think of you as that guy to fill that spot because there are a lot of guys in the minors willing and able to fill that spot. So I was hopeful. Unfortunately, it didn't happen. And uh, you know, that's just the way minor league baseball goes. That's, a, I guess, the unglamorous side or the non-glamorous side, whatever that word is, to the game. You know, for for as many big league superstars out there, there's probably just as many guys that could have been just as good that never got a chance. Now, nah, and honestly, that's why you have to, you know, you have to pretty much savor the moment. Now, you got a chance. Yeah. Now, I was looking, you know, a couple, couple different years. You know, you got a chance to pitch a little bit. Was was was, <laughs> you know, was, was that just a situation that you were just you were just kind of throwing there, you know, throw like a mop up inning or something like that, or was that that's something that you took seriously at any point? Okay, well, no, I didn't. I was scared out of my mind, to be honest with you. So 2000, 2010, we're playing an extra inning game, and me and my roommate at the time, um, it was J.C. Holt, we weren't playing. And uh, we're going into extra innings, and our bullpen was a mess. So we had our first, our normal closer going the, the ninth. He gave up the tying run, so he pitched the tenth. Then we had kind of our secondary closer throw the 11th and 12th. And then my roommate, who wasn't playing, was a second baseman. They said, hey, can you pitch? And he's like, sure. So he threw the 13th and 14th. And then they're like, we got nobody left. Val, you're up. And I was like, what? <laughs> I, I didn't throw the ball all day because I wasn't playing. I was saved, helping my arm out by not throwing at all. And uh, so I go down to the bullpen and warm up. And as I'm warming up from the top of the 15th, we score a run. I'm like, okay, now i got to come into the same situation and not try to blow this in my first ever minor league appearance. 
So I get in there, first guy gets the hit, and he gets the next three guys out. I got a save. I'm like, sweet. Um, then the next year, 2011, they not a similar situation, but our bullpen's a mess, and we're getting crushed by like 10 runs down in Albuquerque. And they said, have you ever done this before? I said, yeah, absolutely. So now I'm a little confident and, and, <laughs> and cocky. Um, we're in Albuquerque where the ball flies like a golf ball. It's like hitting at an airport. You know, it's a launching pad. I go three up, three down, strike out the uh, you know team leader in homers, and I'm I'm thinking this is sweet, you know. <laughs> uh, then comes this year, and this year while well, I wasn't so fortunate, it was mop up duty, similar thing, saving the bullpen. I'm the old veteran guy just lobbing the ball in there. I gave up a a seven spot, couple homers, you know, it was bad. <laughs> it was real bad. The last game of the year, they asked me to do it again, and I didn't fare so well either. So I got. I think I got two losses down this year. ERA probably around 30 or 40. It's not not too good for the career. ERA. I don't I don't think the pitching career is gonna gonna be as sparked as easily the hitting career was. Well, think about it. I mean, you know, as a, as a <laughs> position player who is you know obviously known for you know being an outfielder, so you're drafted on. You know, you you get to say that you've you pitched in five games. You got two losses and a save. <laughs> oh no, no, I got. I have a, some more double experience pitching wise than some of my friends do. It's kind of weird <laughs> to think. You know, I got a, a friend that I give lessons with um, down in Maryland, and he's like, yeah, "You got more pitching experience about double A's than I can only dream of." You know, so he's like, "I don't care what your ERA is. You got you got more innings than I do at that level." And I'm like, "What? That's that is kind of true." You know, so I'm not gonna. I was having fun. Look, I wasn't taking it too serious. I was trying not to hurt myself, to be honest, because it's it's a totally different thing throwing downhill on a mound than it is from a crow hop in the outfield where I can I feel a little more at home. But but it was fun. You know, I was trying not to laugh, trying not trying not to make myself look like an idiot, just throw strikes. Maybe in retrospect, I should should have tried mixing in a knuckleball or something like that just to just to have fun completely. But Again, my, my main goal was let's not get hurt and let's try to at least help the team out and, and not embarrass myself. Well, listen, man, maybe maybe you got the role of that super utility <laughs> player that could, you know, pitch too. Yeah, you got that to your oh, I resume. <laughs> I don't mind. I'll do whatever it takes, Now At this point, you know, at 23, I would have thought different if they were like, hey, you want to pitch? I'm like, heck no, I'm not getting hurt. But now at 31, I'll, I'll do whatever the team needs you to do to help the team. You know, I've had a long enough career worried about myself in the last couple of years, it's been more about what can I do to help the team organization-wise. Um, whatever the manager or coaches want me to do, I'm fine with. You know, this is one of the first years, too, where I was, I've had coaches that I was older than. I had, I had a, my hitting coach this year I actually played against. So it was, a, it was a different type of year where I felt a lot older than I really was. And you know, I come to the realization that I'm never going to be, I may not be that prospect to dream of playing every day in the big leagues. I can play that role. Or, you know, if, if they want me to be the fourth outfielder, they want me to be that guy off the bench, I have no problem doing it because it means I still have a uniform on my back and it means I'm still playing this game that I love. Yeah, no question, man. Yes, and I hope you end up getting that opportunity. You know, I think, I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll send you congratulations when you end up getting that chance. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. So, so listen, man, listen, I wish you the best, Val. I appreciate you being part of the program. And, you know, Thank like you. I said, maybe I can get you on the next time when you got some good news. That'd be, hey, that'd be great. I'd love to get it. Uh, take care, man. Thanks, you too.
And it was uh, Val Mayeski, an outfielder with the Baltimore Orioles organization, was playing up until his past season. And, you know, we obviously wish him the best and hope things end up working out for him. But I want to thank Val. I want to thank Michael Lacoste. I also want to thank uh, Rob Ducey for all being part of the show. And uh, we'll be back probably in a little bit. We're going to do some uh, Philly baseball beat. And uh, real quick before we go, we want to uh, – you know, let's let anybody know that uh, any, anybody's looking to, to uh, hopefully make a donation for my buddy Greg Carlucci. His dog's sick. Uh, he's going to be having an operation within the next week or so that you could uh, email him at uh, actually check the CarlucciShow.com. And there'll be some information up there. You know, obviously a sad situation. You know, we hope we end up saving the dog. So, uh, you know, de- definitely check that out. Hopefully you're able to uh, help any, any, any penny counts. But once again, it's John Pielli here in the Past Ball Show. We'll be back next week. Uh, lots more stuff going on. Obviously, Philly baseball beat and lots more uh, stuff coming on the NTR radio network. We'll be back in a little bit more after this, man. <laughs>